Welcome to On the Same Page, the Fuller's Bookshop Book Group podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Sally Rooney's Normal People. Uh, my name is Damon Young. And I'm Ruth Quabell. So the first question here is, what kind of book is this? What, what category would you put normal people into? Would you call it a love story? Yeah, I, I would call it a love story. I mean, we have this idea that love stories, you know, um, start with a meeting and then there's something that keeps them apart and then they end up together and that's the end of the book. Um, you know, for, for, the, for the most um, you know, shallow or purely entertaining love stories, as in, enjoyable as they can be. Um, but this is a story that partly centres around two people's intimacy, two people's love. So, yeah, in that sense, it's totally a love story. It's just a, a non-traditional one, I suppose. Hmm. More complicated than Austen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, you know, um, Pride and Prejudice, you have two characters whose lives are definitely complicated by their class and status, um, by by wealth and also by personality um but that's a very different kind of book that's not dealing with you know say trauma um or class in the same in this with the same brutality as this book is Mm. and it is quite brutal on its characters what else is going on so it's also a novel about class yes like this is class at at a very particular time in history it's post the financial crisis in ireland in a you know a, a village sort of town it seems to be yeah i mean it's you you cannot make sense of the relationship of these protagonists without recognizing that they are from very different classes very different backgrounds and so they don't just have access to more or less money their whole sense of what's possible in the world is shaped by what class they are which isn't to say that you know being rich is a bed of roses it obviously isn't um but yeah class matters here there is another genre here and that is you know very specifically i guess you could call it sad irish people um but there's a more general category and that is sort of misery literature or trauma literature and i mean I don't want to be unfair because I think reducing everything to misery or trauma is really silly and it kind of takes a, a multifaceted and subtle story and just turns it into everyone was sad and I didn't like it. But but nonetheless, it does seem to be part of a tradition of books that focus on, you know, a, a certain kind of mood. And, you know, there's not a lot of... There are jokes in this book. There are funny asides. There are some excellent... Um, analyses of manners, you know, the way people act. But nonetheless, it's not it's not a cheery book. It's not an uplifting book. It's it's a book with a very distinctive affect, yeah, that I would call kind of strained melancholy. Like, what what do you think? It's it seems like something <laughs> that you're drawn to. It it is, and one of the things that I like about this book is that the sadness isn't unrelenting if they don't seem doomed characters just playing out their parts and so while the affect is definitely kind of downturned or 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 negative it seems like they're realistic for that that they're two people struggling and they're 
infuriating and you just wish they'd be honest and clear but it seems more realistic for me before that because there, there are moments when they they make each other happy they give each other solace you know for for each of these main protagonists the the other is their kind of I'm going to say this horrible cliche, but they're kind of beacon of hope in a, in an otherwise fairly hostile world, um, and those positions change through, throughout the story. Each one is sometimes a beacon for the other, but they are doing something good for each other. It's just they have such trouble maintaining that, not destroying it, not dismissing it, not trivializing it. Um, you know, is this? Is this something that you're familiar with as a kind of book? You know, I, I'd like to say that I really was, but I don't think I am. I think I'm more... I don't think I'm familiar with something that's actually challenging in this way, that there's these two people who are ongoing, struggling to try to make each other better and with all of those failings, I'm more accustomed to something like... Um, uh, Hardy's tests where everything is is doomed and so that's what I think is more interesting about this book this is a reading from page 116 to 117 admittedly she had been ignoring him she had to tell people what had happened between them that he had broken up with her and moved away and it mortified her she was the one who would introduce Connell to everyone who had told them all what great company he was, how sensitive and intelligent, and he had repaid her by staying in her apartment almost every night for three months, drinking the beer she bought for him and then dumping her abruptly. It made her feel like such a fool. Peggy laughed it off, of course, saying men were all the same. Joanna didn't seem to think the situation was funny at all, but puzzling and sad. She kept asking what each of them had specifically said during the breakup, and then she would go quiet, as if she was reenacting the scene in her mind to try and make sense of it. This is one of the most frustrating sections. It's where Connell and Marianne have had the misunderstanding uh, about him staying on at university and the fact that he has to go home and neither of them have been able to communicate with each other honestly about what they each need. And so their relationship has failed at that point. And there's, I mean, it really is like something sometimes from one of those romantic comedies where you're just saying, oh, for goodness sake, just talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Like you obviously care about each other. What else have you got going on in your life that you can just let this slip? Just talk for good. Ah! <laughs> But they can't, and, and it makes sense that they can't. Like, we know why Connell doesn't want to talk about being poor. You know, he, he doesn't have anywhere to stay. He can't afford it. He has to go home. And Marianne, for her part, can't be strong for both of them here. She's already been kind of humiliated by him in high school with the Deb. So she can't go that extra step. She's already been doing it. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's... It's still immensely frustrating, but it's plausible. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we know people who, in their relationships, make these kinds of decisions. They, they don't have the conversations, and there is doom. 
I'm pretty sure I've been this person. No, never. You have never been. <laughs> what did you think of the prose of this book? It's very straightforward to read. It's, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not elegant writing, but I think it's elegantly done. So she she will often... I, I think her use of dialogue, for example, is really well done. I, th- I think she has a sense of the various characters and a sense of what they would say, and she leaves a lot unsaid. So, you know, they, they will reply to each other quite curtly, for example, and we know there is so much stuff happening under the surface, but you don't get these horrible sort of passages of explication where the... The character explains what's going on and explains entirely how they're feeling and you just think, oh my goodness, you know, don't patronise us. Give us, give us something to, to, um, to realise in the text. So I think she does that well. I mean, I suppose I would say she's, she's used language sparingly, um, but very accurately. Um, you know, it, it's... I wouldn't say I enjoyed her prose. Like, I wasn't blown away by um, by the words she puts together. But I think she puts the words together very precisely and very cleverly. Um, and, you know, I'd com- comparing her to someone like Deborah Levy, the novelist and short story writer, who is incredibly concise, incredibly curt at times, but she also writes exquisitely and poetically. I don't, I don't think Sally Rooney does that. It's, it's very plain English, but I, I think it works. It works well for me. Yeah, I think it works really well for these characters yep. and this story. It's so direct. It's nothing that... Nothing stu- struck a raw note, a wrong note. It all seemed like these characters would speak this way they would express themselves like this and it seemed really accessible at the same time but not not simplistic yeah i agree and and i think for some people um the the language or the speaking might put them off because that's not how they write and that's not how they think um you know this at least the dialogue is very much of its error, um, yeah. written by someone uh, of the error, um, and so for some it might, you know, it might be like fingernails on a chalkboard. Um, but it's it's not for me. For me, you know, I've come back to reading this book about I don't know with a six month break, and I realise that none of the language has stayed with me. Nothing. There's there's no phrases that that kind of interested me or stuck with me. What stuck with me was what she revealed about the sort of humiliations of life. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I, It was, you know, that Sartre talks about prose, just, you know, at a, it's just kind of like a transparency through which you view the world. It's not like poetry, which is more like amber, where you, you almost see the language as you're looking through it. Um, Normal people for me is just that purely transparent prose. I didn't see the language. I, I saw um, Connell, uh, Connell and Marianne. Mm. Uh, you know, there, there was no text. There were just characters. Okay, so just talking about the structure of the book, was there anything you wanted to say about that? 
Well, I liked that it's this slice of life through these critical years. You know, there it's 2011 to 2015 in the characters' lives. And I, I really enjoyed that she took them from their teenage years to their sort of graduate uh, period and the way she has it almost like a diary entry of sort of six weeks later, one month later, the, the way life is often sort of thought about in hindsight. This month we did this, this happened, this key event, the Deb, the graduation the decision to go to uni, those kind of key points for those sort of years that most people have to make what feel like really overwhelming decisions. Okay, so it's it's structured around a kind of human time um, that seems to speed up or slow down depending on what's happening rather than a sort of neat objective, you know, clock time divided into nice neat intervals. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So let's talk for a bit about these characters. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you think they worked. I'm gonna assume that. Um, but why? Why why did they work for you? Okay. So who are the characters we have here? We have Connell, popular in high school, smart in university. We have Marianne, unpopular and weird in high school and suddenly popular when she goes to university. Yeah, in a way, the Connell isn't. Yeah. And then we have them surrounded by some peripheral characters like Connell's mum, Lorraine. Yep. Who seems sort of a source of um, knowledge and ethical um, yeah, she's, security. She, yeah, she should be his... I mean, she's sort of his conscience when he doesn't have one. Um, which is unfortunately a role that women often play in these yeah. stories. Um, but she's a great character. I mean, I love Lorraine. Um, yeah. And go on. And then we have Eric, the the brother of Marianne. Yeah. And, and her, her mother, who seemed to be distant and remote and sort of menacing. And then at university, it's really Marianne and her friends. Yep, yep. And... But, I mean, to me, the the book succeeds or fails depending on how the two main protagonists are drawn. Absolutely. And and are they drawn well? Yeah, I think I think so. I One of the things that really struck me about this was how inside Connell's head you get to be when he makes bad decisions. And... All of his actions seem to make sense to me. Mm. It nothing really seems surprising there. Marianne, on the other hand, was really, really quite difficult for me to understand and and get. I guess. So, are you saying she was implausible, or or she seemed plausible? You just didn't you didn't get her. Oh, she seemed utterly plausible, uh, but I think there's just. It's partly we're not meant to understand why she acts always the way she does, but I feel like even though Connell is acting, um, you know, he doesn't act in his best interests and yet we're almost meant to sympathise with him more. Mm, okay. That's a little bit frustrating. Okay. Do you think it's easier for you to sympathise with Connell because of the lack of money? 
Absolutely. I, th I think that's a, that's a, 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 an aspect of his character that makes a lot of sense that he's, he's continually trying to, to hide or bolster himself in a situation where he doesn't have that financial ease backing him up. Uh, whereas Marianne doesn't have the sort of emotional support that most people can take for granted. Mm. And it's maybe because we take that for granted that it's harder to understand her. Because I, I think one thing that marks Marianne is really poor emotional boundaries. Mm. So she's she's really porous. She's really, you know, she's easily penetrated, literally and figuratively. She doesn't know how to keep people away and that's um she she keeps them away emotionally in a sense that she um she almost disassociates and removes herself from situations where she's getting hurt she has to in order to survive but she also lets people get close in a way that's pathological mm -hmm. because she she never really learned um how to manage that in her home life because of the way she's treated by her dad her, her brother and uh her mum um, so she has this, and it is—it's—it's it's familiar to me, not for myself, but through people I've known, who people who get very close to people so much so that they get hurt really badly, but at the same time they emotionally shut off. Um, so they're in this horrible situation of of kind of numbness and anesthesia, but also intense pain going together. Um, so she 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 cannot she cannot manage her own kind of psychological membranes. And so that, that enables her to get really close very quickly to Connell. Um, but almost they're intimate before they've had a chance to get to know each other before mm -hmm. they've learned how to negotiate that stuff. So she, she makes sense to me. Um, she's not me and she's not you, but she makes sense to me. She makes I think what interests me is that she doesn't make sense to me in the same way as in the world someone like that wouldn't make sense to me. Sure. And I think you're not meant to understand something, someone who's necessarily had that kind of experience. It's meant to appear strange to you. Yeah, sure. And this is something that marks her out is that she's not quite right to people. Mm. She doesn't seem quite right. And, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't mean that unkindly i just mean especially at high school people notice that kind of thing they notice the difference they notice your emotional reserve they notice your kind of strange relationship to boundaries and and it makes them um you know they mock or they exclude or whatever it is but university is a much more tolerant place mm. um so yeah i i think they work really well as characters as annoying and frustrating as their incapacity to have a relationship is a good relationship it, it seems real yeah absolutely this is also the story of Marianne and Connell's sex life and how it develops over time did you have any particular thoughts on the direction it goes in well yeah I think in general it's fine I mean I think it's it's an explicit book, but but it's um, an aspect of character, and like you know, the, she is showing how sex and sexuality um, is a way of expressing intimacy or or not expressing intimacy, and I think that's absolutely fine for a novelist. 
I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't think it's controversial or shocking. Um, you know, novelists, these kinds of novelists are trying to show us characters and she uses the sex to do that. I think that's fine. It's, I think it's well handled. Um, my only concern was that the depiction of, of sort of um, sadomasochism or BDSM or whatever, it's kind of a trope. It's kind of a cliche that a girl is interested in pain because of her trauma. Um, whereas there are plenty of people who are involved in the BDSM scene who just have really healthy sex lives, but they engage in this kind of role play for kicks. And it doesn't arise out of trauma and it's not done pathologically. It's not a sign of unhealthy relationships. On the contrary, there's lots of negotiation and communication. So again, I, I think she uses it to show these characters and that's fine. Just as long as we know that it's a, it's, it is a kind of pathological form of this and doesn't represent how people actually enjoy sex using these methods. Now, what did you think about the secondary characters? Um, there's, there's not a lot of them. Like, it's, we're not talking war and peace, but um, there are a few, and it's they're kind of important for the story to be to be told. Um, like, you, Connell's mum obviously is super important um, for for him, but also for the way the story unfolds. But what, what did you think about about the rest? Well, Marianne has her gang of friends too which is all more surprising given that, you know, in high school she doesn't have any and then she's the centre of this this small little girl gang suddenly. Yes, although they don't necessarily stick with her, do they? They're sort of... Some of them are mates of convenience and only only one of them really endures as a, as a sympathetic friendship. Um, sure. Whereas the others are, are gone. It's just surprising to see that. Again, it's it's the thing that marks that quick shift in circumstances that she's suddenly around her people, mm. her kind of economic class that share a, the same sense of the world about what success is and about what you can do without thinking much. Like you can holiday yeah. in that house in Europe, yes, without any question. Yep. Again, that that just serves to reinforce um, Connell's exclusion from that because they're all talking about their holidays and what they did and so on and yeah he can't do that yeah marianne belongs in a way that connell doesn't when connell travels through europe he's backpacking and yeah. catching trains he's not staying in the one spot all the time at a lovely house um and so who else else is there there's um uh, well, helen yeah. connell's girlfriend connell's um, girlfriend who is the sort of exactly what he thinks he should want. Yeah, so she's... Yeah, she, she represents the, the, the proper way to do things, the, the conventional path. She's got a, you know, a good profession, a good family. She's nice, although that's not necessarily... It doesn't run so deep, but she's nice. Mm. And she's good for him. I mean, he, he has something like... A stable life, and he feels like he's not trapped in his past in the same way when he's with her. That's true. Yeah, although it, I also think it makes sense that it doesn't work. Yeah. Because of the the bond he has with Marianne, even though he might not like it, it's 
it is in some ways stronger than the bond he has with Helen. Because as, as good as she is and as good as she is for him, he just doesn't feel about her the same way as he does about Marianne. Mm. Now, what did you think about about Alan? I mean, if, if anyone is is a villain in this, um, I mean, there's Lucas, the, the Swedish dude, but really... Alan is is the is the most like a villain. What did you think about him as a, as a character? It's, he's funny. This is uh, Marianne's brother. He's so menacing, and it's he's not like a real full person. And I know that we're only seeing him through Marianne's eyes and the, the way he acts towards her, but he seems particularly one dimensional. Yeah, this is this is what I thought. I mean, he's obviously a bully. He's a recognisable bully. We all know people like this. Um, but everyone I've met who's like this, there's more to them than this. Mm. Um, so while, while when what happened to him happened to him with Connell, um, I was like, hey, suck it. But at the same time, uh, yeah, it wasn't like meeting a full human being. Yeah, absolutely. And it's partly the, the resemblance between Alan and Marianne's later boyfriend, Jamie, that really sort of made me think, I really don't get Marianne. <laughs> I, really, I really don't understand her. And this, this story is trying to get me to understand someone like Marianne and the effect of her life, her personal life, her family life on her relationships. Yeah, see, whereas I think I got her, I believed her, I just didn't believe Alan. Yeah. What did you think of when Marianne goes to Sweden and she has the new boyfriend there? Is he the photographer? Yeah, the photographer. And that's when the whole BDSM relationship thing really comes out where she's sought this guy who who is is you know not only playing these games of pleasure and pain and brutality and submission in the bedroom but in the whole of their relationship and again that's you know that's a bad relationship and not because of the sex it's just a bad relationship and so the i i found that the weakest part of the book actually um, I, I, f- I found he was almost a caricature of a kind of sort of cold-hearted prick. Um, and it's <laughs> just, you know, she goes to, to Scandinavia and finds the aloof, cruel boyfriend. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. Like, it's not bad, but it was the least plausible and most artificial part of the novel for me. What do, you, what do you think? Well, for me, it, it seemed like it was there to allow her, allow the character to experience something. So in the midst of that relationship, it's, it's when she decides she's not going to go home for Christmas. And it, this is uh, page 195. It might be worth just reading this section. She decides not to go home for Christmas this year. She thinks a lot about how to extricate herself from the family situation. In bed at night, she imagines scenarios in which she is completely free of her mother and brother 
on neither good nor bad terms with them, simply a neutral non-participant in their lives. She spent much of her childhood and adolescence planning elaborate schemes to remove herself from family conflict, staying completely silent, keeping her face and body expressionless and immobile, wordlessly leaving the room and making her way to her bedroom, closing the door quietly behind her, locking herself in the toilet, leaving the house for an indefinite number of hours and sitting in the school car park by herself. None of these strategies had ever proven successful. In fact, her tactics only seemed to increase the possibility that she would be punished as the primary instigator. It just seems to me that it seems that time in Sweden allows her to have that sort of reflection on what's going on in her life. Like before she's acted and here she's got the character just reflecting on it. And so I think that Lucas is almost a um, an opportunity for her to reflect. Yeah, and I agree. And novelistically, it's an opportunity for the reader to reflect, you know, because of the explicit nature of this relationship. That is, it makes the power relations explicit and it enables you to see the strategies that she's normally done quietly or haphazardly or unthinkingly, she gets to recognise them and we get to recognise them through her. That's good. So, again, I can see what um, Rooney is doing in this chapter. I just It just felt artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, not strongly artificial. Like, I think it it's still plausible. It just is all a bit... It's a little bit cliche, that's all. Okay. What about Connell's similar um, journey where he realises he's depressed, where his friend from college, uh, from high school, has committed suicide and he suddenly gets the sense that things are not going well for him? He, he suddenly realises... Yeah, I, d- I didn't find that implausible. And I think for many people, it unfortunately does take some kind of tragedy, whether it's illness or the loss of a friend or the loss of a partner or some such thing um, that makes them realise that something needs to change. So I, I didn't find that implausible at all. So on Connell seeking help, this is from pages uh, 207, 208. Well, I've had a look at this inventory you filled out for us, she says, and I'll be honest with you, Connell, what I'm seeing here would be pretty concerning. Right, would it? She shuffles the sheets of paper. He can see on the first sheet where his pen made the small tear. This is what we call the Beck Depression Inventory, she says. I'm sure you figured out how it works. We just assign a score from zero to three for each item. Now, someone like me might score between, say, zero and five on a test like this. And someone who's going through a mild depressive episode could expect to see a score of maybe 15 or 16. Okay, he says, right. What we're seeing here is a score of 43. Yeah, okay. So that would put us in the territory of very serious depression, she says. Do you think that matches up with your experience? He rubs his eye again. Quietly, he manages to say, Yeah. I'm also seeing that you're feeling very negatively towards yourself. You're having some suicidal thoughts, things like that. So those are things that we'd have to take very seriously. Right. 
I think that's a that's a good example of Rooney's prose. Like it's very sparse. Um, not a lot is written and not a lot is spoken. Um, you know, the the psychologist ex- just explains what's going on, and Connell is typically non-committal. Um, you know, he sounds like he's depressed, but of course we're invited to read about what's happening behind the scenes. His his lack of affect, his his flatness, his trauma, and so on. Um, do, does that sound right to you? Yeah, Connell's. It's almost like he doesn't know have any sense of what's going on in his own head. He's just he needs this objective, somebody telling him some score, telling him what's going on. He's just, it's not hitting home with him. Which which again is very much in character because when we meet Connell, he is very much the boy who really only exists for other people's reflections on him. So he needs someone outside himself, um, as we all do, but I think he really needs someone outside himself to say, you are this and you need to get help. Thinking of the themes of this novel as a whole, was there anything in this that reminded you of other books we've read with the, the reading group? Yeah, I think there are some obvious parallels with um, the Edith Wharton that we read at the start of the year. Age of Innocence. The Age of Innocence. Yeah, Connell is is very much concerned about what others think of him and is he making the right decisions. He's He doesn't have a strict um, community around him telling him what to think and how to act. But in high school, he has something that resembles that. And that seems to be when he's the most sure of what he's doing. Mm. He's not sure of himself, but he knows that he should act like this and not like that. And then, but later on, he realises that nobody actually cared how he was acting in high school and he was trying to live up to this. Mm. It's it's that same sense of um, Archer in... Edith Wharton's, mm. the sense that nobody cared. Mm. But um, yeah, it's interesting that Marianne is seems somewhat immune to that social expectation and perhaps that's because at home she always felt like she was failing. Yeah, I, th- I think she's learned to... I mean, we, in the passage you were just reading, she, she has learned to make herself small or to numb herself to what's going on around her um, and all of that trauma has has created a kind of distance between her and everyone else now that as we were saying that doesn't mean she's good at navigating boundaries um, because she she's she's constantly being kind of violated and she gets used to that and kinds of kind of needs it um, in her intimacies but at the same time she kind of shuts herself off um, and those two things absolutely go together because one of the ways in which you can endure suffering is to disassociate, and that that's what she does. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she can absolutely endure, um, you know, these people mocking her and being cruel to her at school because she's learned to kind of divide herself mm. for, for good or ill. It's not good for her, but that's what she's learned. These parallels between uh, Sally Rooney and Edith Wharton, that's fairly uh, <laughs> strong. And, you know, 
Sally Rooney is young. Is this why you think she's marked out as a talent? Um, well, I would say she can achieve a similar thing for a different generation so well because she's a talent. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, she, she understands the manners of her age and the morality of these characters in a similar way to the Edith Wharton did. Um, but, you know, it, it, it takes a gift with language to make it um, powerful and plausible. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the ending now. I think to to round things off. Um, what do you think? Is it is it almost a happy ending? Oh, it's almost, isn't it? It's here they are in this comfortable space. You can just sense the room that it's 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 lovely. They're both comfortable with one another. Everything's going well and. You know he's he's going to leave and she's going to let him go, and it's it's bittersweet, for my sense. How did you think? Yeah, I feel the same way. You know, she because she loves him, she wants him to fulfil his his talent, his his passions. But because she loves him, she doesn't want him to go. Um, and he he couldn't be the guy that she loved if he gave up on his passions. Um, so it's. It's, you know, again, similar to the Age of Innocence, Newland Archer couldn't be the kind of man that she loved if if he loved her fully as a man because then he would give up on all the ideals he supposedly stood for. Um, this is meant to be 2015. <laughs> can't, can't she just decide that as an independent woman she can go with him? Well, look. Um, That's what infuriates yeah, me about it. And I don't see why she can't. Yeah. I don't see why she can't, but maybe she doesn't want to be an appendage. Maybe she doesn't want to be an extra. Maybe she doesn't want to hold him back. Maybe she thinks he'll find someone else that's good for... You know, she doesn't... I I think what what Rooney does well there is, is kind of shows that at this point, Marianne can make that decision without panicking, without shutting herself off emotionally, without excluding him... She's making it in full knowledge of what she's doing, but she doesn't hate herself now. And she, you know, do you know what I mean? This isn't an act of self-abasement. Mm. Um, and Connell's not running away because he's fearful. They both seem to be in a better spot than where they started. Exactly. Yeah, and he's he's also he's not going to do this because he's scared of what people would think. He's he's going to do this because it's. You know, it's the right use of his talent and he's going to learn good stuff. And that's that's good. Um, but it is, of course, classic Sally Rooney and it is completely in keeping with this novel that they can't be together. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense of the whole novel if they were together, <laughs> you know. Um, and as much as we might want that, in some ways it's more... I don't think Sally Rooney should give us what we want. That's another book. It's not this book. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great place to leave the discussion. Uh, You have been listening to On the Same Page, the Fuller's Bookshop Book Group podcast. Uh, My name is Damon Young. And I'm Ruth Quabell. And don't forget, you can share your thoughts about normal people by sending them along to Ellen at Fuller's. Have a good one, folks.
Okay, bye.